What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Uh, today's guest is Mr. Aaron Delavadova. He is a tattoo artist and small business owner. He, he owns and operates Guru Tattoo in Pacific Beach, California. He came out to the compound to sit down for an interview. I've known Aaron for a, a number of years now. Um, however, we, we haven't had that much of an opportunity to sit down and really get to know one another. He hasn't tattooed me yet, but we, we're making plans to, to change that now. Um, but we, we've never had any significant amount of time to sit down and, and shoot the shit and get to know one another. I, uh, I'll pop into the shop occasionally or I'm getting tattooed and, you know, say what's up, normal, what are you up to, how's everything, good, good, alright, we'll see you later. And, you know, we comment on each other's Facebook things and stuff like that. But that doesn't really give you a, a good sense of who somebody is. So I'm stoked that he was able to, to find some time in his hectic schedule. He's a, He's got a new baby, obviously running a business and, and doing his thing. So he made his way out to uh, the compound to, to sit down for an interview. We talk about babies, Boulder City, rebellious youth, the Coast Guard, Haiti immigrants becoming a man. Small business ownership, divine moments, tattooing, Avalon tattoo, apprenticeships, providing need, Honky Kong, Guru tattoo, DMT, Salvia, sentient beings, Joe Rogan, white light, reality, the ego, intention, the sensory deprivation tank, Terrence McKenna, and the tattooer, tattooee bond. Is, is tattooee a word? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, the person applying the tattoo. The guy is super interesting. Uh, between this interview and the interview prior, which I just posted up uh, yesterday with, with John Zimmerman, I've felt really uplifted since having the, the, the last two conversations. Obviously, I'm, I'm making other changes in my life as well, but something about having these two hours to sit down and have these these discussions really seemed to, to help my mind. With all that said, um, again, I'm going to do this uh, nasty plug real quick where I see if people who listen to the show want to donate money to the show. Um, I'm actually working on getting some t-shirts and stickers put together right now. Um, I have a design almost done. I just need to do some lettering for it. And I'm going to have my my peoples down at the Roots Factory, Anna and Bob, um, hook up the new print so as soon as I get that done if uh, if you donate some dough to the show I'll send you a t-shirt and some, some stickers and maybe a little drawing or you know if you really help pad the uh, the PayPal account you know maybe you'll get something bigger so um, if you go on mikemaxwellart.com and click on the blog in each blog of course as I always say there's a there's information about each about each guest and what type of things they're up to and, and some of the examples of their work. Um, also on there you'll find a link to the PayPal address where you can donate. And maybe it's a tax write-off and maybe it's not. You'll have to talk to PayPal. I don't know if it works like that for a donation or not. It, it could, it could not. I don't know. But if you can, anything helps. Um, and it's much appreciated. Of course, these shows are always free, and uh, you can now get them from the iTunes store, which will all those links are also on the blog. So check that out. And now that I got that nonsense out of the way, 
ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Aaron Delavadova. I told you about strawberry fields. You know the place where nothing is real. Well, here's another place you can go. Pomegranate drink? Sounds delicious. Perfect, buddy. You know me, I'm like you, pretty healthy dude. Yeah. Try to be healthy. No, uh, oh, these are cool. The white tea, the pomegranate. Oh, oh yeah, this thing's legit. Whenever I have a guest on, I try to have a pack of those in the 3D. I'm into it. You should call it 4D though. 4D. Yeah. The next dimension. That's right. I yeah, I, uh, I gotta play this thing for you. Remind me when we're done to. I made a little podcast yesterday mm -hmm. that I recorded a, a conversation on my phone, and I'm I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to release it out there. Um, and I, I sort of made like a little like this American Life type of like NPR story out yeah. of it, as opposed to like these interviews that I always do. Right, right. You know, that's cool. It's kind of funny. I, I I'm it's like fifty fifty. I don't know if it's going to make the air or not. Thank you for coming right. up and doing the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, that's my Taking pleasure. Taking some time out of your your hectic day. I know uh, you're a sought after tattoo uh, artist. Yeah, you know, I mean, definitely sought after for my tattoos, but also, I mean, I own a business. I'm married. I got two kids. New so, one. Yeah, and a new one. Well. A little three month old Harper James. Beautiful, wonderful, awesome little girl the personality of a little gentle Buddha or something. So you could see it coming out of her. My first one was more uh, intense mm -hmm. for, in a good way, but this one's a lot more gentle. Anyway, she's awesome. She's actually really sick today. So everybody listening. Yeah, how's she feeling? Uh, she's better today. She's got a pretty bad infection in her lungs, but but it's gonna it's getting better. She's gonna be fine. Um, well, since it, that's a good topic, uh, I was recently a past guest. We were talking about vaccines oh. and and babies getting sick. Did uh, what kind of stuff did you find? Did you get? Did you do a lot of research on? Well, my wife's in charge of the, that portion of. We we have departments in my house. It's like a company. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I trust sure. her because th there's so much information out there on, on how to live healthy. I mean, what you're bringing up, what we eat, all these things. So we each take our, our areas. And for the kids, she handles it. And I trust her judgment. She's a super smart girl. Love her to death. And, and she knows her knows her shit when it comes yeah. to these topics. So I, I'll be repeating what she says. But basically, we're not immunizing our kids. You know, She had asthma when she was a kid. They say they're now finding out that these immunizations increase asthma in kids. You know, that's one thing. There's a uh -huh. bunch of other things. Um so we're not, you know, we're not doing it, but, and there's a, I don't know the list of all the other stuff. I'm kind of a big picture guy. I lose you on the details, but yeah. I, I hear this shit and then I, I go, okay, I know not to do that now. But, right. I'm kind of the same way. Like <laughs> I, I don't remember dates and like specifics. I get a, a, a sort of a sense of a feeling about something totally. and I know whether something's good or something. And it gets bad. me in trouble when I'm trying to make a case with people that are more analytical because they want to know the the data, where you got it, who researched it, all the credentials. And that's yeah. that's valid. But a lot of times I just don't have that stuff. I'm like, look, man, I read it. It's true. You can take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, um, did you grow up in San Diego? No, no. Where did you grow up? I was born in Iowa. And uh, I lived there till I was in like the fourth grade. My dad was in construction, decided it was time to go somewhere that might be more prosperous, moved us to a little town outside of Las Vegas. 
called Boulder City, Nevada. It's out by Lake Mead, um, Hoover Dam area. Uh-huh. And that's where I grew up from fourth grade through high school. So little small desert community. Um, did you stay sort of outside that weird Vegas community or well, was that a part of your life? No, I had to. I mean, it's a 30 minute drive into Vegas and until I was 16, there was really no access. And even at 16, to go to Vegas, we did on occasion, but my, my youth was spent in that little little desert town, basically. They just, um, there was something on the news today. There's a big gas leak. They had to evacuate a big section of downtown. Really? Vegas today. Didn't yeah. know about that. Yeah. So you spend your childhood. And your teen years through there, and then you you bounce. Yeah, yeah, got you know got out of high school. Um, my parents divorced when I was young, and I'm not blaming the divorce, but through that process and through my general, we can get into this later. But I, I definitely, from a spiritual standpoint, I've always had issues with society and the way the system is set up. So I was a pretty rebellious kid to say the least. So after high school. I definitely started running with a pretty rough crowd. A lot of I was into the punk rock scene. We started dealing drugs, doing a lot of drugs, and it got dark there after high school for about six months, to the point where I kind of popped my head up and was like, "Where is this going?" So that's when I bounced. That's when I decided I got to leave this town. I got to leave these people. I got to get out into the world and find a different way to live my life. I didn't know what to do, so my neighbor at the time, who happened to be in the Coast Guard, recommended me join the Coast Guard. And I did. So I spent five and a half years in the U.S. Coast Guard. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get to go to a bunch of different places? Or you know, it's the Coast Guard. We don't go. Yeah, I guess. But I did. I mean, I went out to the East Coast. I did two and a half years in Virginia. We did uh, patrols down in the Caribbean for that time. Did Haitian immigration patrols mostly. Dominican Republic immigration patrols. That was very powerful for me because that was my first experience with this bigger planet that we live on. And, and, and Haiti is a pretty intense place, oh too. Oh, my God. And what, time, what period, would that be, the 80s? Yeah. This is the peak of the immigration crisis, where they were coming over. And we, I mean, we daily would pick up rafts, just, just inner tubes with people floating in the middle of the ocean on the verge of death. Wow. With their babies starving, yeah. with rotten meat hanging on poles and flies and maggots coming out of it. And they're just hoping the current takes them to Florida. I mean, to see that was a humbling, very... It was a moving experience and changed me for the rest of my life. For sure. Yeah. It gave me more compassion, I guess would be the word. Before that experience, I didn't have a whole lot of compassion for people. My attitude was, fuck you, get over it, deal with it, fix it. You yeah. know, I'm not, I'm not here to help and Part you. of that is that transition, right, from your, you, I guess you were in your early 20s, you said? At that point, I was. No, at that point, I, yeah, very early, maybe 20, 19, 20. Yeah. So. There's that transition at like 25 or like somewhere around there where you start to be less about me, me, me. Start realizing. Yeah. That. And I don't know, maybe it takes longer for other people or, or it happens sooner. But I hear you. Others. It's that yeah. for most normal progression, yeah, your early 20s, if you're moving along yeah. healthily. And we see that shift is actually seems to be changing. Like people who are 30 and still living at their parents' house or, you know, like the generational shifts now. Like I think, how old are you? I will be 40 this August. So there was probably a little bit more incentive to get you up out the house at 18 as opposed to, you know, maybe some kids these days. I don't know. Maybe that's, uh, I mean, I'm 31, I think. I think. <laughs> I know. I gotta do that. Uh, <laughs> I might be 32. Maybe not until summer time. Like, I sort of felt that at 18. Like, okay, now I'm supposed to get up out the house and go take care of myself. Yeah. And I was kind of already doing that. Well, I was up out of the house at 18 regardless of. Of anything, I mean, I do that with, since I was twelve. I'm yeah. that kind of guy. Yeah. So I, I don't know what that was just set, but as far as leaving and joining the Coast Guard, that had to do more with 
changing my surroundings, getting out of a bad lifestyle that wasn't healthy. Isn't that strange how how that becomes sort of like the out for a lot of kids? Is there's probably in Iowa or I mean you were in Nevada or like a lot of like the center of the country. It's like I have no other option. I'll join the military. Yeah, you it's, you it's a talent. paycheck, and then it, yep. it it gets you gone. But now looking back, do you feel like you could have got out of there with with oh my god some other some other route? Not that looking, one route is better than the other. Looking back, you know, sure, there's probably endless amounts of routes, but for me, it was perfect. It yeah. was absolutely perfect. I don't regret it at all. I mean, it taught me. Uh, a whole lot, you know. I, I mean, growing up without a father figure around all the time, my dad's a good guy, but they were divorced. I didn't see him as much as I probably should have. Uh-huh. Um, I, I needed to learn some of the things that come along with becoming a man, you know, responsibility, doing what it takes. You know? Yeah. And uh, the military taught me that, you know. It yeah. took him two and a half years. I was I stayed in that punk rock mindset for my first half of my enlistment. And I'll never forget, the actual day I, I switched, and it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't like me throwing in the towel. It was me understanding that how selfish I was being, you know, how I wasn't living up to my commitments and agreements, you know. Here I was bucking the system, yet I agreed to that system. Yeah. So I finally said, you know what? I, I agreed to this. Why am I giving them shit? I'm the <laughs> yeah. one fucking them over. They're not fucking me over. So I, I switched, and I play, I play that way all the time now, you know. And we, and we still do that, right, throughout life, throughout as we get older. Like, we still keep finding those spots where, like, damn, I was being selfish and that we feel like more like using the term becoming a man is sort of cliche, but like you really feel like, oh, now I'm less of a child and more of a man. Yeah. You know, well, and you keep finding those moments throughout life, even. Oh, it never stops. That's yeah. For sure. that, that, that deepens and matures and like yeah. wine. <laughs> but so it was you, good for me. I mean, I, I now I own, you know, my owning the business, you know, all that is, I would probably wouldn't have a lot of these, done a lot of this. Well, let's that. talk about that. When did you get out to San Diego? Well, then I finished my five and a half years. So, so I did two and a half in Virginia. Came out to San Diego. Did my second half, another two and a half, maybe a little more, maybe three out here, um, in San Diego, and then got out. I knew I needed to get out. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I, I, I needed to get out. My, my idea was to follow a, a career in art. You know, to get out, get some funding together, get to art school. Went home to Vegas because I had a free place to stay at the time. My, my first wife's father had moved out of some house, and he's like, just keep track of my house. So we lived there for six months, kept took care of his house, and I basically soul-searched for six months, um, cleaned pools and did stupid shit to make a little bit of money. And it was during that time that I had a – I mean, it was like a weirdest – I have these weird points in my life where these – these divine moments almost where out of the blue, this idea just comes to me. And I mean, I still remember that, that day too. I was out back cleaning the swimming pool and out of, you know, contemplating my life and where I was supposed to go. And just literally like a voice from somewhere else, something just said, be a tattoo artist. <laughs> and I was already into tattoos. I had a couple of tattoos. I was already an artist. I already had been drawing my whole life. I drew all through you know, since I was a kid. Uh-huh. My idea was art school, but, I just heard that voice and it just felt so right. I mean, I got goosebumps and I was like, I looked at my wife at the time. I said, I'm going to be a tattoo artist. And she just laughed and that was it. And that night I started drawing flash. I started going to tattoo shops and it hasn't stopped since that day. Well, did, did you do the normal apprentice route? It's three of them. First guy ripped me off for 2,500 bucks. Second guy threatened to kill me by the end of my apprenticeship. Yeah. I went through the old apprenticeships, gangsters uh-huh. and thugs. And third apprenticeship was up in Portland. I probably shouldn't name any names, but anyway, that guy, good enough guy, but a heroin addict, ended up trying to kill me at one point as well, and 
Finally, I ended up back here in San Diego with, with Avalon Tattoo, working uh-huh. with Patty Kelly and, and FIP, and that was my first. That was after I'd been in the industry for two and a half years, and that was my first taste of a legitimate tattoo. Yeah, that's got to be a humongous change from going and and having your life threatened to, to going to such oh. a, you know, I guess probably at that time, like, the biggest shop in PB or oh, in yeah. San Diego, like. I you was know, blown the biggest away. names. Oh, they were, yeah, they were. I didn't. I, if I, that exists or whatever that means, you know, yeah. popularity wise no, or, they were. or talent wise. Oh, they were. Yeah. I mean, we had Bill, when I was there, it was me and Bill Canales and Randy Jansen and um, Juan Puente. Fit was there. I mean, that was a powerhouse group of guys, like yeah. know, some of the best tattooing in San Diego. And I grew tremendously. I was there six years, and that was really probably my learning years. First yeah. two and a half were paying my dues surviving <laughs> <Yeah>. barely <laughs> barely yeah well, that, that's also you know that's a testament to you too to be able to not only survive those nasty apprenticeships but be uh passionate enough to stay yeah. on that pathway because i mean i did an apprenticeship too i was going to tattoo as well when yeah. i was yeah when i was 20 21 22 ish i i did an apprenticeship and i did the full eight month apprenticeship that was like just misery you know every day was a struggle to fucking get by and it was like i got apprenticed by some guy who got apprenticed by some guy who were all assholes Mm -hmm. you know and it was like god i don't want to do this and like i saw myself in this shop every day doing fucking scratchy ass tattoos like just in that young mind state Mm -hmm. i couldn't see past that where you could have been yeah where it could have taken but at the same time i had one of those like real strong moments of like that voice in your head that was telling me fuck every day you're sitting in this shop you want to be at home painting like that's what you want to do so you you were you're right where you should be right so it set me on that path but had i maybe had a different type of apprenticeship that was uh, a little more positive or focused towards doing something good I could be down some other. But you had the exact apprenticeship you were supposed to have. You had the one that brought you back to painting. <laughs> yeah, right. There, there is no bad, right? It's yeah. all just part of your journey. It's yeah, all meant exactly. to be, no matter how ugly it may seem at times. Yeah, it's, and looking back, it's it's so it's so serene, even oh. even though those moments see were so stressful and just. See, and now at our age, the key is to be in the midst of those moments and see the serenity. Yeah. Not have to wait till it's over and see it in rear view vision. Yeah, 10 years See later. it while it's happening. Yeah. And I'm starting to get that, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm working on that too, but it's, <laughs> it's constant work, right? Oh, it's, it's constant mindfulness of what Absolutely. what's going on around you at all times and being okay with it. It's like that thing, just being, you know, just do what you're doing and, and let it be what it is. Yeah. But when you're 20 oh, and, yeah. and you're scrubbing toilets yeah. and, and getting yelled at and, and being... You treated got, like an asshole. You gotta fight it. You gotta fight it before you can accept it. You gotta feel what it feels like to fight. Yeah. And when it, then you know from you know retrospect what it feels like to submit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. You gotta go through it. So when so then you 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 do the six years at the shop. Um, you decide yeah. to to move out yeah, and do yeah. your own thing. Yeah. At that point, I was you know running maybe six months out with my schedule. Pretty busy guy in the industry at that time and just realized I needed a, an environment where I could operate, you know, there it's a shop. They got hours. You got to be here at this time. You got to leave at that time. And I needed an environment where I could kind of manage my own schedule according to my clientele. And so it was just time. It was time. And, you know, from a business perspective, um, I always saw myself as having a family and a wife and kids and 
just knew that I needed to go out and be and create more income in my life. So yeah. obviously getting out and doing my own thing was part of that process. Do you feel like um, being in the tattoo industry that maybe it was a little easier for you to, to move into starting a, a small business on your own because you had already built up a clientele? As opposed to, let's say, somebody who's like, okay, I'm going to open a restaurant now. This is my first restaurant. I know how to cook, but let's see how many people show up. You know how like there like there seems like a like a real big risk that keeps a lot of people from from taking that leap. Yes and no. I mean, obviously it helps me because I'm opening a tattoo shop and I'm a tattoo artist. So it'd be like a guy who opens a restaurant. We would hope that he had worked in a restaurant before. Yeah. But beyond that, not a lot of what I learned being a tattooer taught me what I needed to know when I became a business owner. Yeah, like the behind the scenes, like the nuts and bolts. I never had to run a business prior to that. Yeah. I mean, I had help though. My dad owned probably 11 businesses growing up as a kid. He was an entrepreneur, he still is. So well, I, that's probably in your system. Oh, huh? yeah. And I've, and I've seen it. Plus, I have him for advice. And um, so I, I, you know, there's definitely, I was in an environment where I'm, it was conducive for a guy like me to be a business owner, for sure. Yeah. Um, but but still, I mean, I had I read, I read, I, I read books on business. I've read most of the big ones. I, I still educate myself. I study. I work hard at it, and I learn yeah. as I go. But but in the end, business ownership comes down for me one simple thing: provide a need for human beings. Find a need out there and provide the highest quality for that need, and just do that. I mean, you can get you can screw up the accounting, you can screw up your advertising, you can screw up a lot of the businessy shit. But if you're doing that thing and truly doing it from your heart, you'll you'll do all right. Yeah, and that's just where I fell back on that constantly when I got when times got tough or things got weird. I just remember just keep doing that, Aaron. Just keep giving these people all you have to give. Make sure the guys that work with you do the same. In time, these things will work. As you know, out. from a, from an outsider's perspective, that's noticeable. You know, like like your shop. There's some there's something a little bit different about your shop than a lot of shops that you know that I've grown up around or whatever you know like there's um it's obviously nice but there's there's not that sense of um arrogance or uh attitude that you get in a lot of shops and i mean i'm sure that that's sort of shifting as as more people are getting into tattooing and stuff but um there's like a welcomeness Mm -hmm. like you're you feel welcomed there Mm -hmm. you you don't feel like you're a burden even to the to the tattoo artists that are working around you, which you know is is a case sometimes. If you go into a shop and everybody's working, nobody wants to take the time to to deal with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And not that like people stop their tattoos to deal with anybody. You have the personnel to do that. But there there's not there there's a level of of like I said, welcomeness. Well, thank you, shop. thank you. No, I hear that. I appreciate the compliment, and I hear it a lot. So I you know I know we're achieving that. That's definitely. One of my main goals, you know, I mean, we definitely want people to feel welcome, but in the end, it's all about the service, man. You got to do what's right by the customer, regardless of how it affects your finances. And we've pushed through and I, and, and then beyond me having that as our basically mantra at the shop, I hire, you know, I'm very, I just take on guys. I try them out of they either do it or they don't. I mean, some guys are listening they they adapt to our environment and they become more like that and others don't. If they don't, yeah. they beat it. And, we get and plus else. there's a quality of work out of the shop too that makes well, it yeah. a little easier to like you guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and that goes along with you're filling a need with the highest quality product you can. Right. And I try, you know, and a lot of people seem to know, it, like the, the people that I talk to, like even people online, like from out of, out of the city or whatever, I've heard people like I did some research, seeing what, what type of things are, are being talked about. 
and everyone is, is super positive. Like I, I read a, a post yesterday or last night about a guy that wanted to get tattooed by you. And it was like two years, you had like a two year long wait. And I guess it was something that w didn't quite fit what you were working on. And you gave him like this, like list of things that, of what he could do and like a recommendation for somebody who would fit the style. And yeah. like it, even though you denied him what he wanted, so which a lot of people would be like, ah, oh, fuck that guy. Like he was actually appreciative of the, that little bit of extra effort yeah, to, yeah. to steer somebody in the right direction or something. Back to my same thing, you know, you're being of service. Just because somebody isn't paying you money to do their tattoo doesn't mean you can't be of service to them. You know? yeah. I look at it from his perspective. Here's a guy. I mean, I love everybody who collects tattoos. They keep me employed. I, I don't have to, you know, go out and do a different job. I have a job I love because of these people. Whether or not I've actually tattooed every single guy that loves tattoos, no, I, I haven't. But if you love tattoos, I love you. And I want to see <laughs> you get a good tattoo, whether it's from me or some other shop. I mean, I, some of my referrals, a lot of them are internal because I have 10 of the best tattooers in San Diego, I think. But some of the jobs, I, I refer around town, too, because I just, I just want to see people get good tattoos. Yeah. You know, and it, we're not hurting for business. It's not like we got to take everything to make our money. We, we get enough business, so just becomes about doing what's right by the customer. Yeah. And, you know, it's important for the people, too. Like, go find that tattoo artist that fits the thing yeah. that you're doing. Yes. You know, and yes. your ideas. And we did a, I just interviewed Ben Grillo. We did a, a public service announcement for everybody on how to make an appointment and how to, oh, wow. how to figure out. <laughs> well, he's a busy to guy, too, man. Yeah. He works uh, amazing. He just did my hand. I saw that. We're almost, I'm almost healed here. I got that little last bit of skin left. So is it true that he wears like uh, like a like a some kind of glasses so he can magnify the art? No, just does it with his open eye. Yeah, that stuff is crazy good. Yeah, that's pretty intense. Wild. All that single needle and all the stippling, like the stippling around like, the pine uh, cone. Did you get that as a representation of the pineal gland? Um, yeah, and a, a few other things too. <laughs> I love it, dude. Um, that's great. Let's um let's shout out uh, Mr. Honky Kong real quick. He's been he he works upstairs at your shop. He, oh yeah. um, He's been tattooing me for five plus years now. We still got to finish my ribs. We, yeah. <laughs> we we made an appointment, but then we were like, eh. We or you? Well, we, well, I went in and he wanted to go to Kobe's, so we were like, okay, or so you know. But yeah, let's give him a shout out real quick. He's awesome. Oh, we man. we talked about you on his podcast. Oh yeah, I got I got to go through and listen to some of these. But um, and I got to hear especially what Adam had to say about me. Yeah, Adam, what can I say about Adam? Obviously, talented tattooer, um, one of the best I've ever worked with. I mean, he's he, he's carved out his own very unique personal style. Anybody that knows his art knows that. Yeah. But and I I know you're gonna agree with me on this. Just just a huge heart, you know. The guy's all heart. Um, full of love, you know. And I, I don't know that. I don't think he gets mad. He oh, wants he gets to... mad. Oh, you, you come down to the shop. I've seen him really pissed <laughs> Dude, off. Dude, I have never <laughs> seen him without a smile on his face. It's rare. We'll put it that way. We'll Maybe he just way. likes me when I come around. Oh, he <laughs> loves <laughs> you. We all love you, but he's a happy guy for sure. He, you know. Or let's put it this way: nobody doesn't like him. Like I have plenty of people who don't like me. Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> but I don't know anybody who doesn't like him. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody, everybody's got one, right? But his percentages are probably much lower than the average yeah. citizen. <laughs> we, we love you, Mr. Honky Kong. Yeah. Are you open to talking about uh, DMT? 
at all? You know, there's no way to tell my story without talking about DMT, so, yeah. Uh, well, let me, um, well, I guess I'll just sort of preface this thing. That I'm, I've been working towards a DMT session. I haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. I've experienced, uh, I uh, experimented with mushrooms and LSD a lot as a youngster yeah. and got a lot of that partying style of, of mind-altering yeah. moments out of the way. Right. Um, now I've, I've reconnected with them. You know, I did mushrooms at like 25. I was probably like, okay, that's that's it. No more. Um, but at, in, at 30, I I really wanted to get back involved with a more mature mind state and try to expand my mind, which I was doing back then too. And as a kid, like doing those hallucin- uh, hallucinogens, I think set me off on this like creative path and to be mm-hmm. like the type of person that I am even though I was just kind of partying. Right. But I, I think I took it a step further just because I had that type of mind even back then. Yeah. But so I, I did my first Salvia trip. I listened to it. I, I, I did That's the first that podcast one? I saw that. I got to hear that. Yeah, I did that. So you heard that whole story is on there. Uh, I did a second trip, a Salvia trip, mm-hmm. with the same dosage of the same value or the same... Yeah, uh, they number it. Yeah. yeah, and it didn't... I went. I started going back to the same exact place that I went to in the first trip, All right. but I couldn't get there. There was, like, it. I couldn't get right. into that same mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next one, I'm bumping up to the... 40x well it, it comes the the brand that i get it's a salvia zone it comes in green yellow red purple blue gold or some shit right. so i'm gonna do the red next i'm skipping the yellow just because they didn't have the yellow available unless you bought like the whole thing but i'm not gonna do that much this has been my precursor mm-hmm. so eventually i'll do the dmt mm-hmm. which i think from what i know about it just from reading how i haven't experienced it so it's hard to really know but the salvia trip that I had, from the accounts that I've read, have a lot of similarities. They're very similar, yeah. I've never done salvia, but I've read, and they do sound similar. I do think there's a, this, there's like, I don't hear as many accounts of, of interaction with uh, sentient beings. That's that's the difference. Yeah, and that would be a pretty big difference from my perspective having yeah. done DMT, because that's the most powerful, for me and a lot of people, the most powerful part of the DMT experience. Yeah, I mean, I would tell my story from youth till now of doing DMT, but basically anyone listening, exactly what Mike just said. Same exact youthful encounters for the same reasons. Set me off, I think, partially into my artistic direction, although I was always an artist, but it definitely molded me in a more creative way and opened my mind to bigger ideas about reality and what it might really entail. So on and on it goes. And then I, like you said, about 25, I kind of shut down and was like, okay, I've had enough of these drugs. Um... I'm really just trying to buckle down, get some work done, get married, have some kids. I don't see them really having a lot of value to me anymore. And then about 35, I kind of woke back up to them and was like, you know, from a new perspective, from a, now I'm a different person at 35. I've knocked out some stuff in my business life, marriage, a kid. And now I'm, I'm coming back to them seeking, you know, spiritual growth. I mean, right now my main priority in my life above almost everything besides maybe my family obviously, is my spiritual growth. I mean, I put that above my business, my career, everything. Yeah. So, so having and being on that path, a lot of reading, a lot of you know, studying with other people, a lot of conversations like this, trying to grow. But in the end, I kept coming back to this DMT. You know, I did a couple sleeves on Joe Rogan, uh-huh. and that's what kind of started. Joe, of course, pushes it hard. Yeah. Um, 
and he's he's a really smart guy. I mean, getting to know Joe is like, wow, you know, this guy is well read. He he really he's just a smart dude. Yeah. And he's not just a nobody telling me, yeah, try this shit. You know, so I valued his opinion, but I still held off. To be they hard. mentioned you on the podcast the other day. They did. Yeah. Oh, cool. On Joe's podcast. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Talking about how obsessive people get too many tattoos or something. Hmm. But, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, that that's how I got to the DMT realm, and I was very interested. Then in a, I don't I don't want to name names because maybe they don't want to be named. But one of the guys in my shop showed up at the one day. I don't know if I would have taken the initiative to go out and find it because it's kind of difficult to come by. Yeah. But it showed up, and I think life is funny that way. It brings you where you need to be, and I just felt like, well, it's here, and I've had this itching, and I don't know, it just felt right. So. First time we did it, uh, uh, we didn't smoke it correctly. For anyone listening, this is important. If you want to try DMT, um, you've got to vaporize slash freebase it. With you know, I know this scares people, but it's basically like smoking crack. You want to get like a crack pipe and you want to boil it from underneath, so it turns into a vapor, and the vapor is what you inhale. Um, if it has such a low flash point, if you burn it like marijuana, you put a lighter to it, you dissolve, you disintegrate a lot of it and you don't get barely any of the drug. Mm. I mean, we were taking probably an equal amount of like a six to seven dose amount of DMT and hitting it with a lighter on top of some tobacco. And I didn't, wasn't able to go all the way. Basically I entered that tunnel of light that most people go down. And then on the end of that tunnel of light, you go into another dimension or world or another slice of reality, whatever you want to call it. But the first time I didn't go down that, but it was still an incredible experience. I mean, I was submerged in pure liquid light energy life that was made out of pure love, basically. Pure, absolute love. I mean, this what it became very apparent to me in that moment that everything we see, everything we are, is an expression of this love. And um, there was a, a, a being that appeared at the, at the base of the tunnel and he, he just reached out and hugged me. He just held me and, and just I felt like love was pouring through every cell of my body. And then as he backed away, he said, meditate, and disappeared. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Gave one little piece But I didn't advice. have, a, you know, he knew he had to do it quick because I, I didn't get enough, you know, and I was just, it was like I was there, he was there, we did it. He said that and he was gone, you know, because I didn't have enough of this stuff. So that sent me on a major tangent. I must have read... 20 books between that and my next DMT session. The next time we got the, the right pipe and um, and uh, we had basically a powwow, me and a bunch of the guys at the shop, and we took turns all night doing this stuff. And um, it was amazingly powerful. I took three large inhalations of the vapor this time and with it went down that same tunnel and within two seconds was standing in a... This is where words fall short. You know, everybody yeah, that talks... Yeah. But standing in a world of of immense vastness uh, that that expanded as you looked at it. So anywhere you looked, that where your attention was put, that area would expand into endless amounts of structures made of pure light and energy. Did you um, keep your eyes closed? Yes, because I'd done a lot of research, and basically, if you want to go there, you got to keep your eyes shut. If you open your eyes, you're going to see your actual physical place that you're in and how it's made of that energy, which is very cool as well. But if you want to talk to these sentient, sentient beings and things like this, it's best to keep it. And I recommend you guys listen and put on an eye patch or something, like a sleeping mask, because your eyes want to open. For some odd reason, they fling open. Yeah. So if you have something gentle on your eyes, it's good. Dark room, quiet, gentle. Something. That's how I did the salvia trip, too. With a little mask on? Uh, well, no, in the dark. Yeah. It's like a low music, and I closed my eyes and pulled my beanie down over mm. my eyes, so I'm sort of 
Perfect. Yeah, because yeah, if your eyes open, you could be in the middle of some pretty deep shit, and then suddenly you're not there anymore. You're in the room, looking at your buddy across the room. You can see his heart beating in his chest, you know, and shit like that. But um, but anyway, I was approached at that time by three beings that looked like human forms that were made of pure white light. They told me to relax, to breathe. They said, don't, don't stress and don't worry. You're okay. You're loved. And then they said, now remember, look around and remember. This is where you're from. This is where you've always been from. This is what you are. Remember that when you go back. This is what you are. And then they immediately started raising their hands in front of my face. But I'm not really a human. I'm a glowing orb of light that I have. I have 360 degree vision. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, somehow. Um, and there's this, oh yeah, the noise, there's this, this, they call it music, but there's no way to explain this noise. It'd be like, <clears throat> a, you know, a million monks humming one note at the same time. It's, it's crazy. It's the sound of life, I think is what it is. And it's beautiful. I mean, it'll bring tears to your eyes just hearing it, you know, and yeah. that's running through me. And then they raise their hands and out of their hands appeared these balls of white light and they would float up in front of my orb or whatever I was and pop and as soon as they popped in the center of my forehead I would get this electrical kind of feeling that would expand out across my face down my shoulders all the way out to my fingertips and my toes and I did that three times well first I said what are you doing to me and by the way none of this happens with with questions I think it and they answer it instantaneously yeah there's no verbal no. you're not saying anything it's, while you're in the trip and the answer comes as the question is asked these things don't happen separately yeah. But um but anyway, they told me they were healing me and to relax and everything was going to be okay. So I relaxed and they gave me three of these balls of energy. They shocked through my physical body laying on the table. And then I started looking around and noticed that everything I was looking at was made of information. It was I was like it was energy, but it, you could tell it was some kind of information. It, it almost like words and symbols and numbers and data. And they funnel it all funneled up into this giant cyclone and poured through my ball of light and it literally sounded like a fax machine downloading like and that went on for like about seemed like 10 seconds which and then uh they turned and walked away i had a few more trippy little visions of weird stuff back out the tunnel and back to reality it was about wow. a seven minute trip that's wild it's weird that, that that tunnel like the tunnel like that portal because that's this mm. when i talk about the salvia trip i was definitely in a tunnel and it felt like uh, the tunnel was made out of all organic matter that was just sort of rocking me back and forth. Mm. And I think the first trip, at the very end of it, it felt like I went into like a room, but that was literally like, and then it was done. Mm. Like it, I was in the tunnel for a long time, just being rocked back and forth, like left and right. And I, I sort of vaguely want to say that I saw like a hall. That would be like something with pillars or something. Yeah. But then I was back to reality and my eyes opened and like I was just. Well, no, it around. sounds like you're going in the same direction. Maybe you just need more of the, the salvia. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. One thing I would recommend, I would say the DMT would be a better route only because we make it in our brains. Yeah. Salvia is a foreign substance you're bringing in. Dimethyltryptamine is produced in your pineal gland, in your right. own brain. So to me, I, I'm fascinated by that. You know, yeah. you're not even doing a drug. You're just. But with that said, you know, the processes that go on in our mind aren't necessarily the drug doing. It's not the drug at work. 
Like, I look at it like the drug is a key and my brain is the ignition. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And we just have those connections that only those two, that Mm -hmm. keyhole and that key fit together. And when you turn the ignition on, it's the brain doing the work as opposed to the drug doing the work. The drug's just the V or the, the, the gas to put the vehicle or whatever. Just opens the door. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, Salvia, I mean, there's still value in LSD, there's still value in psilocybin. These things all have value. But um, I, I understand what you're saying that, that this natural chemical. Yeah, I was fascinated by that. I just re- I was watching a thing about weed, and we actually produce a cannabinoid in our minds as well. How funny. Yeah. Makes sense. It's a little bit different. It's not the same molecular structure. But it's still a cannabinoid that, that our, our bodies naturally produce. I mean, these plants are here. They are not here by accident. We evolved with these plants. These, yeah. these plants. They evolved with us. Oh, yeah. They evolved with us. And they, I mean, consciousness, our very consciousness as animals probably came about through the use of hallucinogenics. I mean, read, read on this stuff. It's out there. You know, a lot of this stuff you hear people talking about, what I've realized after reading so much is, this isn't just spiritual guys giving their opinions on what's going on. There's data to support all this shit. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, they're here for a reason. And I'm not saying everybody needs to do hallucinogenics. Some people, it's your path. What calls you? But if you have any inkling at all and you're feeling like you might want to, you probably should be. Yeah. You know, but just do it with respect and, and, and do it, you know. That's a big with, thing. Like With the right intention. With all the salvia videos that are on YouTube and the people acting oh, like dumb fucks and yeah, shit, yeah. you know, like I... I did my hit. I laid down and sat still for the five minutes that I was in that little right. zone. Or, and I, you know, and I read that you're not that the the tribe where where uh, Salvia came from that that spot in Honduras or wherever the fuck it came from South America. No, sure. There's a particular tribe. It's a Mazteca. I know it's not Aztec. It's it's a Mazteca something to that effect. Right. They say that you're not supposed to make a sound. You're not supposed to laugh. You're because when you do, you disrespect the salvia goddess, mm-hmm. and that you won't go into like this positive trip. But if you do act like a douchebag, that it'll kind of put you into like a bad trip, and they'll be like, "Okay, you're gonna act like a douche, and here's fucking some scary shit that's about to happen yeah. to you." But for me, you know, I I even before I got started, I took all these deep breaths and got my mind like perfectly clear. And it was, even as I was about to hit it, my mind itself, whatever that is, told me, wait a second, you're not ready. Was that in one of those like voice things. It wasn't me saying, I'm scared, I'm not ready to do it yet. Because I was ready, I was getting ready to hit it. Right. And, but then I was like, wait, your mind isn't ready yet. And I had to get into that mode. And I felt comfortable and welcomed and loved in that weird little tunnel thing. Yeah. And the fact that I went back to that same place... And hearing you say that you oh, yeah. did the same process to get to that room or to that that energy zone is, yeah. is interesting. I, I, I'm, I think now that I have that in my mind, maybe I can move past that tunnel sort of oh, yeah. mentally. Do you find in those, when you're especially in such a high hallucinatory state with DMT, which is like one of the most gnarliest in terms of like... Uh, the amount of visuals that, that take place. Do you do you get disconnected from yourself, like the sober self? No, it, it seems like you have a choice. You can you can allow yourself to become basically you can return to your natural state, which is an egoless state. So when you say do you lose touch with yourself, I'm assuming you mean the ego. You know, the guy who they call Mike. 
Right. You know, right. My name's Aaron. Your name's Mike. But I don't believe that's who we really are. Or let me let me let me try to put it another way. Do you lose track of the reality that we're in most of the time? You do as long as you choose. I mean, when you're involved and the ent- the entities are talking to you and stuff like that, you're you're just you're so focused on that. Of course, you're not. But you can choose to return anytime you want. I did it a couple times during my trip. I kind of yeah. got a little paranoid and was like, where am I and what am I? And so I just decided to lift my arms and feel my body. So I yeah. lift my hands up and I felt my chest. I felt my face. And I was like, you're just laying on a table and you're you're out of body spiritually or your soul is out of your body. but physically. So it's almost like you could. Yeah, you could yeah. choose to just, you're, you're still there. Like if someone had yelled fire while I was in the middle of my trip, we got to get out of the building. I'm sure I could have just came back and I would have been a little fucked up visually, <laughs> yeah. but I could have made my way out of that building and right. whatever. So it's a choice. Yeah, and I think I say that not in like I'm afraid to not get back to reality, but in like when I do hallucinogens, I have this part of me that stays connected to the person that I am in this like modern reality or in this 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 uh, non hallucinatory state. Yeah. Um, I never, and even with other drugs, like when I'm drunk, you know, like some people act like a dumb shit when they're drunk because they sort of lose connection to who they are when they're sober. Mm -hmm. Like there's, it turns into two different people. But when I ingest these substances into my body, I always have this really strong connection back to like me as this person prior to the drugs. And I don't know if that, that might hinder me a little bit. You know what I mean? I would say, and I don't want to say hinder because everything's just the way it should be. But if you want to fully experience these things, it's the letting go of that. Maybe it's that it's hard of it absolutely hard to do is that feel what you're control. Talking, well, that's, you got to understand that there's there's an actual entity that lives. It's, it's psychologically created by your soul, but we believe it's who we are, and that's this Mike and Aaron, and we are so uh, conditioned to believe this is what we are. It's difficult to let go of that. It's yeah. our ego. And and that's what hallucinogenics do, is they rip you away from that and return you to your natural state. With, with that said, too, I want to make it, it clear to, as well, or more obvious, that I also embrace those those moments, those hallucinogenic moments. Like, I'm a part of that. Right, but you um, still have that little part. That's... It's almost as if people's fears of those things come from that disconnect from reality. Oh, absolutely. And I don't feel like I have, I don't have that fear at all in that shift. It's almost like, like it's going to sound super egotistical since we're speaking on the ego anyway, but like that my brain is a little bit too strong. Like it it has a little bit too much consciousness to, to fully, it fully comprehends what's going on at all times. This is classic. And it might be that letting go still. Well, this is classic spiritual enlightenment we're talking about. I mean, this is the battle of every yogi, of every of every monk, of anyone who's ever sought enlightenment. This is the battle. It's the same battle that we fight when we do hallucinogenics. It's just at a much more rapid pace, and it's you know done artificially. Yeah. But it's the same exact thing. Um, and that is the letting go of the ego, the dissolving of the ego. And it is strong. I mean, I like the saying that the, the mind is a great servant but a horrible master and the problem with society today is the mind is the master of everyone the mind is the master of our culture and our society and the mind only creates duality it creates progress and duality so if it creates wealth somewhere else it creates poverty where it creates love somewhere else it creates um hate it only can create polar things and that's even in our own personal lives if we create from the mind we'll it will get some kind of polar opposite reaction 
And if you examine your own life with your successes, you'll see the failures right next to them or disappointments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's because that's mind creation. That's ego creation. It's like thinking about what you want and all you do is think about what you don't have. Yeah, that is. And, and the mind is its own entity. It wants to survive just like everything on earth wants to survive. And when you be go into this state, it sees itself being diminished. It sees itself losing its control of being you and being, instead of uh, being the master, you're turning it into the servant. And that's the goal to enlightenment is to get to think and be and exist from the heart and make the mind a servant of the heart. So when it does something, it helps you wash dishes. You, know, you turn it on and it helps you do things. Mm -hmm. And when you're done using it, you turn it off and put it away. Problem is, everyone's minds are running 24 hours a day. All we hear is a story going on in our head, word after word, this after that. And we're, and, and that creates emotions. Those emotions create chemical reactions. This creates stress and, and it's bad health and, and go on and on. But yeah. that's the bad. And that's why we're so lucky as creative types because we get, a, we get a, a moment of clarity in the, oh. just in the work process, just oh, in yeah. going to work. We don't have to stress about going to work because Art the is, work is so rewarding in itself. If you think about it, and I know you'll agree, art is meditation. Yeah, I've been talking about, if you go through, every, I say it every episode. Art is meditation. I say it's a mantra. It is. It is. Because what happens when you do your art, and this goes for anyone out there who does a craft and is good at their craft. What happens, you'll notice, and the reason you enjoy it when you play your guitar or when you build a machine or when you tattoo or when you paint a painting, is the mind shuts off. You don't hear the voice anymore. It's not talking. Mm -hmm. Now you are thinking and existing from your heart. That, that's a taste of what bliss and what a futuristic evolved culture is gonna yeah. is gonna look like and that's i and tell people like. a lot of times like i'll finish a painting and i look at it and i don't realize that i painted it in that like i forget that it happened i know that i did it yeah. i know that i was there for the the process and i'm the one that made it but going back i could look at it with this sort of level of amazement like hey i that's just made cool. this thing and it's almost well, like a disconnect well, let's go a step further. I would say you didn't even make it. Okay, what really happens is, in, in a state of deep meditation, is the source of everything runs through you. So it's not a matter of creating. We're not The mind thinks we need to create everything. We need to create um, enlightenment. We need to create fun money. We need to create love. We, need to create, we don't need to create anything. We already are all those things. What you do when you create is you turn off the brain and allow what you already are to move through you, which is... The source of everything that everything's made out of. So you're just shutting off basically and allowing it to happen. That's I, you know, I say it's like brushstroke, brushstroke, brushstroke. And I tell people a lot too, which is an overused thing on the podcast. But I make the same painting every time. It just turns out that it looks a little bit different every time. Yeah, it's yeah. the same thing That's every cool. day, day in and day out for the last, you know, my entire life. But particularly the last ten years of my life, where I'm making artwork every single day. So I've, I've been meditating for 10 years yeah. without even really knowing it up until yeah. just the last couple yeah. of years. Like I've always sort of made sense of that, that like shutting down the mind right. and quieting the mind and just being relaxed and, uh, and shutting down the system. But it's funny just using that terminology because that's not really what's happening. We're just shutting off part of the system and allowing the other part of the system that doesn't get a lot of time to run because it's so busy doing our brains are so busy doing the day-to-day -day, like survival it's, it's, it's that we get it's that. locked up. Yeah, You're letting we get it to out. Release that, right? <laughs> release it, right? Yeah, no, it's these things sound so a weird way to put it, but this is important to understand the mechanics of what's really happening. Um, you know, it's one thing to enter a state of meditation, and that's beneficial. And a lot of people do it on accident all the time. 
like I did my whole life. I was drawn yeah. to art. I didn't realize it was a way for me to deal with a difficult childhood and difficult tragedies mm-hmm. in my life and things I had been through. Art was a way for me to shut my brain off. You know, it was either that or being on drugs, and I did both really. <laughs> um, but they, but now consciously to understand now to go into a state of meditation consciously, knowing that's what you're doing. This takes things to a deeper level. Yeah, and the same thing with the hallucinogens, right? It's you know taking them with the idea that you're doing something differently than when you were. It's all about intention. Kid. It's yeah. all about intention. Whatever, you know, these things are only as useful as the intention that's behind them. You know, if you, you can do all the DMT you want with the wrong intentions going into it, you're not going to benefit very much. Same thing with our art and everything else. You have to have an intention that comes from the heart, not yeah. the mind. Right. Mind will create an, a polar opposite of whatever intention you, you're trying to create. Yeah. Um, so, you know. You know, it's, it's one more statement. It's like people, I like this. I heard it said this way once and I love it. People believe that we're human beings trying to have a spiritual experience. But really, we're spiritual beings trying to have a human experience, mm-hmm. you know. And thank in my life, thank God for art, and you know, it's helped. It's it's spirit. It's part of my spiritual journey, really. Yeah. You know, and and thank God for the love for my family and my wife and my children. I mean, you know, the love we have for things is the same. The love you have for a flower is the same as you do for the, a woman or a child. It's the same love if it's pure. Yeah. We just find certain people in our lives that reflect that love more than others. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm just thankful to have her, my kids, and my family, and my art to help me learn about this so that maybe next time around I'm a little more further up the totem pole in this whole soul yeah. progression. <laughs> it kind of gives you a sense of empathy, right, for other people who don't oh, have God. those releases. It's pure. Like, it's pure compassion. I know that I would be an insane mess of an asshole person to be around if I didn't have art in my life. If I didn't, it would it would be a disaster. When you understand this, it's impossible not to have compassion for almost. Well, I, I you know people will take have a problem with me saying this, or not everyone, but I know people do with everything. Really, you have compassion for Hitler? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah, you, you have, have love for him? Yes, I do. You, you have to understand that these are all aspects of yourself. We're all one thing. Yeah. Separateness is the, is the disease. The mind is separateness. Yeah. It's, it's the realization that everything is one at the same time. You know, that's the other big, big thing that people usually get from the DMT experience is coming back and realizing, oh my God, everything is literally one thing. Yeah. And I'm only seeing separateness right. visually. You get that from, especially with mushrooms I found. Well, like all that, of them, connect, yeah. that connectivity oh, yeah. of everything. You get it from all of those injections, yeah. big time, yeah. Even with marijuana, I feel it, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, nice. Let's um, let's plug some of your your stuff if uh, people want to check out your work. Or I know I posted, I, I do a blog for every every guest, and I'll, I I will post up some videos and things for people to check out. But let's uh, plug the well, the shop let's see. website. Yeah, shop website Guru Tattoo G U R U Tattoo dot com. Um, you know, you're going to be able to see my tattoo life there. Um, well, actually, that's really the only public thing I make public is my tattoo life. Yeah. Some of my, my paintings, although paintings for me have become sort of a side note to my tattoo career at the moment. I, I had to really make a choice a few years ago of what I wanted to, to put all my attention into. Yeah. For the time being, it's really been tattooing. Although I, I still paint regularly, but I paint 
you know, as a way to grow my tattooing, sort of. You know what I wanted to ask you? Uh, we brought up Rogan earlier, and I, you know, he was a big influence to start doing this podcast, and a few, I mean, I listened to like 10 other podcasts, and um, I, uh, I wanted to ask you if you have done the float tank. <laughs> I haven't, you know, Joe invited me up to his house, he wanted to put me in the tank, and Put me on a DMT trip and all this, but in the tank. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Actually, Joe doesn't. People think he does it in, the, in that tank. He meditates in the tank. Yeah. When he does DMT, he sits in a dark room, lays back on a bed. Yeah. You know, which is the way I'd recommend it too. Sure, you could do it in the tank, but I don't know. I had planned the next time we do mushrooms. I'm, I want to get in. Uh, tank. There's a guy in Pacific Beach. I I, I went. You did. You I've know gone this one guy. Time. I okay. went. My last mushroom trip, I went at the very end of it. Uh, like the last couple hours of it and went and got in the tank as like the coming out period oh, yeah. to like because it was actually turned out to be a, like a pretty stressful uh, day but I got in the tank and just relaxed but I didn't have any sort of mind altering situations necessarily like I had some really interesting experiences but it wasn't like a, I well, think I, I used all my we, brain power I don't know do we say what we're talking about this is a, a, a sensory deprivation tank yeah because they're here in the tank. <laughs> yeah. The tank. But, um, sensory deprivation tank. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, you float. Well, you've been in one. I've never. Tell them what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's a, it's a four by eight tank that's pitch black. It's uh, filled with about a little less than a foot of water. And then uh, well, 600 saline. To, Isn't it saline solution? Well, or, or high concentrated well, salt? Well, what water? it is, it's, it's 600 to 800 pounds of Epsom salt uh, okay. into that amount of water, and you become buoyant. So you float, but your ears are below the water. They close the tank door. It's pitch black. The water is the same temperature as your skin, and the air in the tank is the same temperature. So you lose track of your sensory uh, perception. So because mm. it's pitch black, so you don't have to see. So your mind's like, well, I don't have to worry about using these eyeballs. Your yeah. skin doesn't. You don't sense the difference between the the you know, air feel. and your skin. So your brain's like, I could shut down the skin sensory. Mm -hmm system in the brain you don't really hear you hear but it turns out you hear your insides oh, yeah, more like eating. it was so weird i thought somebody was outside the tank and i was like what the fuck are they doing out there they're fucking up my shit <laughs> and i was like wait that's me that's my heartbeat <laughs> that's my that's my breath fuck. um it was the first time i think you know similar to the dmt experience it was hard to get into the zone with that at first you yeah. know it's hard to you have to get really still and because if you move, you float to the side and bounce off the wall, right. which like gets you out of the, the mind state. Yeah. Um, the salt water gets in your eyes. Fucking oh, goddamn, it stings like a bitch. So yeah. that if you get it in your eyes, you're like, okay, my eyes are going to sting for 20 minutes now. Yeah. You kind of get out of the, the focus. But right. what was really, really interesting was that I, I carry a lot of tension in my wrist, in my arm from painting, right. and in the base of my skull from holding my shoulders really right. still to paint. And as soon as I lay down and got settled, it felt like something was pressing my, my wrist into the water because we're floating, or I'm floating, you know? So it felt like I was getting pressed into the water, and then I felt a pressure right there in my neck too. And as I thought about it and like sort of concentrated on it, because it just was like, you don't have anything else to concentrate on, so right. you might as well concentrate on that. Right. It, I felt it like dissipate, like uh, like dilute and spread the pain out amongst, like it it, it lessened yeah. the pain. Healed you. Yeah, so pretty much. That's interesting. Uh, but then it got like it came back, and I had to focus again and figure out what was going on, and 
And as soon as, like, I laid down with my arms straight down, and that was kind of uncomfortable. So I got my arms up, like, sort of behind my neck, and that was really comfortable, and I got to go into the zone a little bit. But Well, sure. you know, it's, it's probably like meditation. you got to gotta practice, and yeah. to really get into the zone, you're going to want to do it repetitively. Do you know that guy over there? No, but I have a client that just told me about that place, actually. Yeah. He's gone a couple times, and he's Dude, like... I was coming down off my trip, so I was still kind of weird from eating the mushrooms during the day. And I went over there, and it was him and another dude that looked like Bates Motel kind of scene, like standing in front of the door, like waiting for me. <laughs> and my buddy brought me over there. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, it just felt creepy. Like, my insides were like, this is a bad idea. Because right. the mushroom's fucking with your yeah, brain yeah. and stuff. And I was like, wait, you're just making snap judgments on these guys for no reason. Yeah, yeah. It's super nice. Kind of like eccentric, you know, like Buddhist guys. But I wanna, I'm want going to hit dude up and say... Hey, I want to eat an eighth of mushrooms and go in the tank for four hours. Can we work that out? That's Terrence McKenna style right there. <laughs> yeah, might as well. I mean, I haven't, I mean, I've never been one to like really try to push the boundaries necessarily. Like I never push myself to like, like frighten myself or go, okay, you did this. Now go beyond that and see what happens. I, I definitely do things that are in my comfort zone and I, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't do it or even like pretend to to say I was going to do it if I didn't feel like comfortable with it. Right. You know, but maybe there's a part of me that should try to step up away from that comfort zone a little bit. But and I think it gets back to that I'm not fearful of it. So the comfort zone is always there. You know, you got to listen to your heart, man. You if you're feeling it, do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't see me taking like 5 grams of mushrooms to the head. I probably won't go that that hard. You know, I could eat an eighth and I'm going to have a pretty Serious experience. I think that's Terrence McKenna's recommendation. He recommends empty stomach, eighth. You wait until you feel the coming on of the drug, and you do four or five massive bong loads, and in a dark room. He doesn't do a deprivation tank, but he get everything but that. You know, he's yeah. in a pitch black room by himself, no sound, no nothing. And he claims I don't know if you do much of his studying, Terrence. Uh, I've I've listened to a lot of his stuff. I haven't read much, but I've, I've listened to a lot of his lectures. Well, you've probably heard this then. I don't. Know, he has a recipe. But we could still share. But anyway, he claims that is the only the only way to get true value out of the mushroom experience is at that level. Yeah. And, you know, basically you hear his trips at that level and they're DMT type trips out of complete out of body type. Yeah, because with mushrooms, I never get like I rarely would even have like hallucinations per se, like things would be would look weird and there would be trails and like sort of like weird. That's eyes open. See, the key here is to get the eye. It's just like TNT. Yeah, yeah. You True, open your totally. eyes. You, well, you do see hallucinations. But you're still seeing the world around you. You want to have this yeah. out of body, yeah. out of earth. That's why I want to get in the tank next time. Yeah. Because I've never will. done mushrooms like that. Oh, you will. I, I one, of my, one of my most disconnected from reality moments, I was 15, and I went and saw the Grateful Dead in L.A. Oh, wow. Uh, I ate these red, they were um, scarlet begonia hits, and... They had a little flower on each one of them. And in the middle of the song, in the middle of the concert, I was looking at the stage. The right side of the stage sort of broke away from itself, like how you would like tear a picture up. It looked like that. It was like, and just took off to the right, like out of my peripheral. Then the left side, same thing, like took off to the left, out of my peripheral. And at the middle just disappeared. And I was in space, like literally in just like what looked like a black dome with like some little sparkly things. Right. And it was one of those things where I was like, 
where the fuck did I just go? And this is with a 15-year-old mind, too, you know? So it's like, it's strange. But I rubbed my eyes and shook my head, and, you know, I was back in the the sports arena thing or whatever it was, you know? But, like, that was a a serious disconnect from reality, but that was, like, really, really strong. Actually, it was a reconnect to reality. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, depending on... Yeah. On which which reality you subscribe to? Yes, but yeah, let's uh, let's finish up the plugs. Oh, I also uh, one of the other podcast uh, influences for this show was Joey Diaz, who we I didn't I didn't so know that's... you had tattooed Joe. Uh-huh. Um, we we randomly ran into each other at the the show at House of Blues, okay. and uh, that was the first time I got to see Joey Diaz perform live, uh-huh. and he does a podcast too, which. Anybody who listens to this should listen to his show. It's called Beauty and, and Dummies. I, I knew he did. I oh, my Lord. I think he's the funniest comedian working today. He's, he's funny. Or maybe the last 10 years, at yeah, least. He's good. Just I, I saw him. He played in OB at Winston's or something oh, down yeah? there. Um, a cool small. Maybe place. like six months after that. You know, It was, I guess, the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And he just destroyed it. Like, I wanted the show to be over because I was laughing so hard that it, it hurt. I was like, just stop already. Uh, you're going to love good comedy, man. Yeah, so th- those guys were a big influence on the show, but um, I, okay. I wanted to get that on there before. Right on. I'll, I'll, I'll probably see Joe at some point, and I'll, I'll make sure to mention it, too. Yeah. Yeah, as far as plugs, though, I just plug the shop, you know, when it comes to my professional life, GuruTattoo.com. The Guru has a, a, a fan page, I guess you call them, on MySpace. Uh-huh. So, Facebook? Facebook. Not a touch on <laughs> text yet, but uh, yeah, Facebook. We have a fan page, so that's a great way to see what we're up to more in time. The uh, website doesn't reflect every convention we're doing, you know, three days before we go and stuff like that. Where the Facebook page does, yeah. and it, it's more current with some of our. I art. think your your guys's YouTube videos that are that are posted oh, up yeah, all the yeah. time is a great resource that's for right. people that want to see like the tattoo process, what the shop is like, mm-hmm. and then what the final work and the personalities like. of the dudes, and yeah, get a feel for the place. Yeah, and those I are think... all on our fan page, I believe. Okay, cool. Or just YouTube Guru Tattoo, and a bunch yeah, of our videos will come up. But that's really about it, man. Just check out the site, check out all the artists, um, come see us, get a tattoo. I wanted, to, I did want to talk about the. Um... The bond that happens between tattooers and the people they're tattooing you know how like it's something about that intimate relationship of being involved with one another in yeah. close quarters and like learning about people but there's some that it's almost like the um people who get kidnapped who fall in love with their kidnappers <laughs> now and obviously that's a bad I analogy like that, but funny. you know like a tattoo a person who gets tattooed like almost automatically Builds this really strong relationship with the person yeah, that tattoos well, them, and forms like a like a love bond, or like yeah. that sounds a little kooky, but like something different besides is, just friendship. Is, I'm glad you brought this up, honestly, because this goes back to my original statement about being a service. And one of the things that I don't know if all tattooers get this or not is when someone's being tattooed, whether they show it much or not, they're being more vulnerable in a public setting with someone who's almost a stranger than probably ever before in their entire life. It's you ha- There's no way to get tattooed and not be somewhat vulnerable. You're allowing someone to take control of you physically, inflict pain upon you, um, and to permanently leave some kind of mark that you're not in total control of. So you have to basically submit, become very vulnerable. Now, I'm very sensitive to that, and you know, with my clients, I tend to always become very vulnerable with them as well. I, I talk about most personal parts of my life. You know, I've had moments where I've cried with a client. 
Literally. And yeah. the guy's telling me something about his life, and I'm feeling it. And next yeah. thing I know, I throw my machine down, and there's a tear running on my face. I'm just like, man, are you okay, bro? You know, I'm like, I'm there with these people. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important, and I think that's, and it does happen. And not everyone becomes your best friend, but I would say 90% of my good friends are people I've tattooed or tattooed with. You know, yeah. that, it's more than a job. It's it's, it's a different bond. It's my sure. life. I mean, these are the people that are in my life. The people I tattoo. The people I tattoo with. This is my family. These are my friends. It's all yeah. one package. You know, there's no separateness to it all. Yeah, it's strange. I've noticed that for a long time. And when what also occurs from that, what I've noticed is that people love their tattoos. Even if you end up getting like a shitty tattoo, if you have that bond with that person, you have that mark that is is just as special to you as like that relationship that you well, build. It represents right that good feeling of a relationship yeah. you have with a person. And it's so different. Like I don't get that from the paintings that I sell to people. I build connections and friendships, but right. it's something with like like you said, that submitting control. Mm-hmm. But even like the idea that like their blood is getting on your hands, even though you got gloves. Oh, there's yeah. something about like there's something about in that process too. Oh yeah, there's many levels to it, but the bottom line is we're sh- Two people are sharing in a very intimate way. Yeah. No matter how you slice it, physically, mentally, spiritually, it's all happening at the same time while someone gets a tattoo. Yeah. And like you say, people love their tattoos. That can go the other way too. You know, I know guys who've had that tattoo artist that comes in and just feels, it just treats them like shit. Yeah. And to, I don't care how good the tattoo is, to forever, when they look at that tattoo, it, it brings up the emotion they felt during that tattoo, which was a guy who wasn't showing much love or much compassion or much sympathy towards their situation. Yeah. And it can be kind of a stigma on their skin. You know? Yeah, so, it's weird. So it's, uh, it's a much more emotional uh, or some sort of different type of thing that's happening. There's a deeper level. That, yeah, that people don't really, I don't think a lot of people recognize it. Or that's if they why, do, they don't talk about it. That's why everyone listening, really be careful. Who, not not just who has great work. There's a lot of people with great work nowadays. But, but also, you know, find someone you feel connected to. Someone that you can relate to. Um, you know, especially when you're getting bigger work. I mean, to walk in and get a little kanji on your wrist probably doesn't matter. Get a nice somebody to do it. But when you're doing sleeves and things like this, 40, 50 hour tattoos, find someone you connect with because they're really going to leave the energy between the relationship you create during that tattoo will be left in that tattoo, in your skin. And you want it to be a positive one. Yeah. All right. I think that's a great note to, to end the show on. We'll try it again. All right. Thank you for doing the show, my friend. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. Thank <laughs> you, buddy. Cool, man. Very cool. That's rad. I'm glad we just had some time, you know? Thank you.